Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. I went in the ambulance with Kella and the driver. We go down to the end of our drive, and the driver says to me, I'm new to the area. This is my first day. And at one point, we reached as many as 12 people living in our row home on Edmondson Avenue, complete with marble steps. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Soup Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I am Jessica Hankin. And this week on the podcast, this is our last of our holiday episodes around this time of year that I love. It is Oh Holy Night. It is two stories about the spirit of the season. Before we get started, we want to thank our main podcast sponsor, which is Mend Acupuncture. They are the best place to get poked, which offers enjoyable and low-stress acupuncture sessions starting at 35 bucks a pop, which is such a, a deal given, you know, our inflation and this time of year. Why wouldn't you take advantage of that deal? I ask you. Uh, they're in a variety of places in the Baltimore area, so check them out if you haven't already done so. Okay, so this first storyteller is Patricia Kirk, and she told this story two years ago at our holiday show at the Senator, and it's just, I love this story. It's such a sweet story about a group of nuns who take in a mom and a child who are refugees. Yeah, it's beautiful. And I want to say like one of the great things about doing this soup is that we get to meet all these folks who share stories. And I very vividly remember going to the Sisters of Emmanuel Monastery, which is where Patricia Kirk uh, lives and serves. And visiting there on like a very rainy and cold November day to meet her and just really getting a sense of like the peace and the beauty of the community and the building and how that would feel to somebody literally coming in out of the cold without a place to call home. Take a listen. My story is what we call the new uh, Christmas story. It happened on December uh, 28th of 2010. And Molly, who is our development director, called us and said um, she had gotten a phone call from somebody from United Way that there was this woman that just came into the States from another country and she had nowhere to go. And they checked other places in Baltimore City. And because it was between Christmas and New Year's, there really was no place else to go. So she called us and said, can she come to the monastery? And we said, sure. And we had done this for other people before, too. So she brings um, Kayla uh, to the monastery. And she said, and by the way, she's pregnant. I said, oh, Okay. So, but she said, don't worry, it's, I can tell she's at least four to six weeks out, and because Molly is a, a mother, we said, oh, well, we could trust you. Okay. <laughs> that was the wrong thing, <laughs> because uh, uh, 
her baby, well, she started with contractions and bleeding uh, the first night that she was there at our monastery. And one of the sisters came to get me and said, we're in trouble. <laughs> I said, call 911. So we called 911. And, uh, and when we called, when I called there, I said, we want to, ta- we want to go to Mercy Hospital. And, and she said, ma'am, we'll, we'll decide where she's going to go. So fine. Okay, so they get to the uh, monastery, and I did my same routine of, uh, we want to go to, fine. So I went in the ambulance with um, Kella and uh, the driver, and we go down to the end of our drive, and the driver says to me, I'm new to the area. This is my first day. (laughs) So... You'll have to direct me to Mercy Hospital. I said, yes. <laughs> Emmanuel, God with us. So we go down the end, and I said, okay, take a left, and then take another left. We're going down to 83, and it was, it was smooth. So we get to the hospital, and the Mercies are very welcoming people. The wheelchair is there. Bring her upstairs. And um, she did not have the baby that day, but it was a great Routine. So they checked her out and could see that the baby was right where the baby should have been and um, did a lot of different testing, you know, x-rays and so on. So it was, it, was a, it was a blessed time. So I called Molly and said, guess what? Didn't happen today. So we went back home. And then on uh, January the, the 6th, which is the Feast of the Epiphany, we go through the same thing again. Bleeding, contractions. He said, I said, this time, I'm not calling 911. I'm gonna, we're going to go in the car, Kayla, and we're just going to go down. So hold on. 4 o'clock in the morning, 83. Never knew there were so many holes, so many ruts in 83. And we get down there, and they just whisked her right up to uh, maternity area, and she's crying. Molly now is crying because she came down. And it, they were just so wonderful to her. And one of the other blessings was there was a woman who was a doctor there, and she happened to speak the same language, the same uh, dialect as Kayla. And so she was really calming her, you know, your mama's here, your grandma's here, it's going to be okay in that language, I mean, not English. And even though Kayla spoke English, just to hear somebody of your own language was just a fantastic thing. So it took about uh, six or seven um, hours before she was really ready to deliver. And so they said to us, Molly, you take her and steady her on one side, and sister, you you just hold her down on the other side because we want to just you know um, not not any you know moving around. So, okay. So Molly's the blood is going out of her face, and I said, Molly, you have two kids. She said, but I've never been at that end. I said, <laughs> Ah, okay. So, baby uh, was delivered, little boy, beautiful little boy. They stayed in the hospital a couple of days, and the president of Mercy came down to greet her. And she said, isn't that nice that they come and they greet every new mother and baby? I said, no, they don't do that. They're very nice, but they don't do that. So, anyway, Molly, uh, so... 
what Sarah, what Kala wanted her to do was, I want to go to the mosque because I want my baby to be blessed. So they stopped by the um, mosque on the way back to our monastery, and she came back. And you have to know, okay, monasteries, sisters, they've never been married, they've never had children, so now we have this baby in our home. And it was a thrilling, thrilling uh, experience for all of the community and for everybody that comes to our monastery, that we welcomed this Muslim woman to our home. And in the, in the days before, actually, that she delivered, we had already taken her for um, uh, a doctor, already had taken her to get her, um, her documents, see whether, you know, she really could be welcomed, you know, safety. It was a safety issue. But we learned so much from being involved in this. And when they were saying about justice and peace, my whole community is like that, of what does it take in our country right now to welcome people from other countries? And they are a blessing to us. So... (laughs) So having this Muslim woman who is a devout Muslim... Five times a day, she, would, she had brought her prayer rug with her. So guess what? Grandmas were just would take the baby, rock the baby, uh, put him in the carriage, you know, get him to stop crying, yelling, whatever. Um, and it was just, um, it touched so many people. I guess I just can't emphasize that enough. Then um, after, after that, experience. We have had other women that have come and uh, just for a period of time, we've had three other women that have come to our monastery and they now are married, have children and stay in relationship with us. And what one of the things we learned was how difficult it is for somebody coming from another country you know, how to go through the legal system, how to go through insurance. One of the things that we did in that interim between January 1st and and when the baby was born was to take her to a a food store where she can get her own kind of food, not our food, her own kind of food. You know, but the, the adaptation that they experience is just incredible. And, and they only come because of safety. They don't come for a better life. They come for a safe life. And that needs to be remembered. Oh. But I have to say for some of the sisters, this was, and I said, we're all grandmas, obviously. And when the baby was starting to crawl, would go across the hall because one of our sisters had all these stuffed animals on her bed. And so he knew right away where to go, who was going to take care of him. And then there was another sister who said, well, I'll teach him how to roll over. And you'd have to see this sister. This is the way you do it. You roll over and, <laughs> and then you find your way and then we get him up. I, I could tell you so many stories, but I just have seven minutes to, to do this. So... Um, but I, I guess I, that whole sense of Emmanuel, God with us, our Christmas story, I hope you take that home with you because it is, 
It's not about a certain tradition. It's about a new way of life. It's about a new way of being and welcoming the stranger into your home. And you never regret it. Amen. Thanks for listening to that story with us. We just, we really, um, well, we find it meaningful this time of year and all year. Uh, Before we get on to this next story for this week, we want to thank Baltimore Magazine. They do an amazing job chronicling the news and the happenings and the restaurants in this town that we all love. And you can find them at baltimoremagazine.com and on the newsstand. So this next storyteller is Michelle Bicot. And you connected with her, right? How did you find her? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So she works for the YMCA. And they asked me to do a workshop there. And then when I met her, I just thought she was so friendly and charismatic and charming. And I actually really also just love the sound of her voice, which can often be a motivation for me to harass people to become a storyteller. And yes, so yes, this week is definitely two women that I tracked down and sold hard on doing this. And you get to reap the rewards of that. Um, (laughs) So yeah, take a listen to Michelle's story. Christmas time in my home growing up was quite the experience. And let me start by giving you a little bit of information about the players that are involved. Um, I was the only girl. I had six brothers, and because they had some other mothers, they were often in and out. And then I had a lot of uncles and cousins who came from different parts of town and stayed with us, so they were often in and out. And then we had some church members and community members. In other words, we were that house where people were often in and out. And at one point, we reached as many as 12 people living in our row home on Edmondson Avenue, complete with marble steps, all at one time. And so needless to say, there was madness. Now, with all the people being in and out, there were two strongholds that were constantly there. They were always in, and they were my mother and my grandmother. And while they were both two very strong women, there was clearly one that was the boss, and that was my grandmother, Susan. She was the matriarch of our home, In fact, she was the matriarch of the entire neighborhood. And what was amazing about her is she was just masterful at managing the house, the funding, just the three-ring circus we called 2924 Edmondson Avenue. But what was also amazing about her was that no matter how crazy things got during the year, and they did get crazy, she was able to pull it together on the Christmas Eve or during the Christmas season because that was her most favorite time of the year. And so how do we know and how do we start our our Christmas season off? Well, the tradition was this first, the ceremonial decorating of the house. And because there was very little money, there were very little decorations. So you had the Christmas cards of past placed on tables and taped on walls. And then you had the infamous poinsettia plastic tablecloth with the flannel back. We all... (laughs) had that, draped over the dining room table, and then out came the candy dishes that were filled with those old-fashioned hard candies that came from Lexington Market that didn't exist before Christmas Eve and didn't exist after Christmas Day. 
special Christmas candies, and then it would not be a table dress for the holidays if you did not have a whole tray of mixed nuts. And I'm talking about literal nuts, not my family this time, the, the, the mixed nuts. And so in addition to that tradition, our most famous tradition was the tradition around getting the Christmas uh, tree on Christmas Eve, always just on Christmas Eve, almost literally hours before Christmas. And so with all those people in a house, it was some permutation or combination of people who would just walk down the street, it was either at a community lot or at a community gas station, and buy a tree because it had to be a live tree. And my grandmother always told us, God is not dead, so neither shall our tree be. <laughs> so we had to have the live tree. So I didn't have the heart to tell her when the tree was cut down, <laughs> kind of started its descent into death. But it's all good. We know what she meant. So for the most part, we were pretty lucky. Got some really nice trees until the infamous Christmas Eve tree of 1979. So what happened in 1979? Um, I was a freshman in high school at the time. And because I'm from Baltimore, you got to rep your high school. I was at Paul Lawrence Dunbar High School. And... I met a really, really nice man, young man. He was a little older. He was a sophomore. And we became fast friends. And I really wanted to be a little bit more than friends, but he was really comfortable leaving me in the friend zone. And so I said, well, what can I do to impress this older man? So I said, I'm going to invite him to my house on Christmas Eve because it's relatively festive. And it's one of two or three days of the entire year where my home is relatively calm and safe. And so what I did was uh, agreed to meet up with him at this transfer bus stop so that we could arrive at the house together. And I was pleasantly surprised to arrive to the house and get to the vestibule and smell this wonderful sweet scent of pine. And I'm thinking, yay, my grandmother actually got the tree a little earlier. This is going to be so nice. It's going to be beautiful. He is going to be so impressed until I took two steps in and actually saw the tree. And let's just say 1979 was not a good year. (laughs) And neither was it a good tree. In fact, it wasn't even a tree. It was actually six to seven branches that my grandmother had gotten a strand of lights and tied them around the branches. And because she was so masterful, she was able to tie them and give them a little bit of height, which allowed her to then add ornaments and candy canes to these branches. So if you can't get the visual, I want you to think about that bonfire twig thing that you normally see in campfires with green pines and ornaments in the middle of our living room just for in all its splendor. So needless to say, my friend's looking at me. I'm looking down because I'm mortified. So he kept it together until he took his seat, which placed him front and center of this tree. And then he just lost it. He just lost it. He falls on the floor. He's laughing. He can't get himself together. And I, again, just was aghast. And so what happened, obviously, was his visit was very brief. (laughs) And I forever stayed in the friend zone. But that's, that's not the point. So afterward, I have a little debrief with my grandmother. We had to talk about this respectfully, of course, because that was the only way you talked to my grandmother. And I told her I was a little embarrassed, and why'd you pick that tree, and why do you do this thing on Christmas Eve anyway, because this is what can happen. This is what happens. 
when you make decisions like this on Christmas Eve. And, and so she said, well, I didn't mean to embarrass you, but it was all they had left, and I figured something was better than nothing. Totally disagreed with that. <laughs> so once we, you know, fast forward kind of 30 years, and my grandmother's health is starting to decline, and so we're starting to have these bedside conversations of a lifetime. And on this particular evening, it was about Christmas traditions. And so she asked me, did I remember that we always got the tree on Christmas Eve? And I said, of course I do. And she said, do you remember why? And I said, yes, it was a tradition. In fact, it was your tradition. And she said, yeah, well, kind of. But the real reason was getting the tree on Christmas Eve was so much cheaper and in many times free, which allowed me to be able to buy a little bit more food for all those in and out loved ones, and to make sure that you and your brothers got at least two toys every year. So while I was so busy, focused on, wrapped up in that whole tradition, just like she wrapped those lights around those branches, I'm forever scarred, but uh, what I realized the tradition she was really trying to impart was the importance of holding fast to those things that are truly, truly important to you and then doing what you got to do to make sure that they are held sacred. And so for my grandmother, it was clear. It was, God is not dead, so our tree will never be, and always put the care and love of family first. So on that note, may you all have a happy and blessed holiday. I'm off to a tree lot. Thank you. Stars are brightly shining. It's such a beautiful story. Oh, yeah. And just the, I love the whole thing of like, as a kid, you're like, oh, this is just a weird quirk about my grandmother that we never get the tree before Christmas Eve and then realizing something that seemed like a quirk was a, was a necessity. You know, I just yeah. I love those kinds of kid to adult, you know, transformations, and that actually it's even more lovely um, knowing the truth of this. So before we sign off, we want to thank the Wine Source and Golden West. They are two establishments in Hamden that have been great supporters of the Soup Podcast, and we hope that you support them this holiday season. Um, And we also want to thank Maureen Harvey for producing she hung in with us all this year, as she has for previous years, um, as we figured out how to do this all virtually, and she's been amazing. So thank you, Maureen. And thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back soon with more stories from the suit. Divine, oh, when Christ was born.